Good afternoon. You're on the panel on RNZ National, Palmjeet Pamam and Raven Can with me, Wallace Chapman, this afternoon. Really great to have you company. 2101 is the text. Uh, 3,000 people are not missing. There is a difference between uncontactable and missing. The majority of these people are likely to be alive and well. They are not yet in contact uh, with many communication lines down and practical access cut off. That's not unexpected. Uh, regarding comments about uh, invisible civil defence, the Army and the police are both part of civil defence emergency management response. Emergency management is about many agencies and communities working together to respond to an agency, an emergency rather, says uh, one listener. Well, let's go to Wairoa now, where residents are still coming to terms with the destruction there. One resident, Carla, told RNZ, many locals do not have insurance. We are a low decile area. It's been really tough, Carla said. There are a lot of desperate people out there. Well, Tamsin Cooper is a resident in Wairoa. She was lucky. The house was fine. It's become a bit of a haven for Farno bugging down there, but it's been a tough experience to live through. Tamsin, kia ora, good to have you on the panel. Kia ora, Wallace, good afternoon. <laughs> and I bet you are happy simply uh, by virtue of the fact that you can pick up the phone and oh. talk to someone outside. That's been your biggest thing. Absolutely. It was amazing to get comms on last night. Like just the connection again with the outside world is an incredible relief. Can we come to that first? Because you did say that one of the most frightening things about all of this was having no information, not even knowing what was yeah. happening just on the other side of town. Absolutely. So <clears throat> the, when the when the cyclone hit, we actually had no idea really. Well, we knew there was terrible weather. We got up in the morning and the, the sun was shining brightly and we all went out for a walk to look at the river, which um, was raging absolutely raging past our house because we're at the, the bottom of Corpu Road which is near the river mouth in Wairoa oh. um, and we knew it was you know, we knew it was it was rough but we had absolutely, the power was out we had absolutely no, no idea that at the other end of town destruction had absolutely you know, ensued and um, and, and houses had been you know, wiped away and undated with, with, with mud so we had no communication for days. Um, people were having to bike round the town to give each other messages. Um, just this crazy sense of like, yeah, just um, being unanchored and out of control. So how did you, how did you try and connect with the outside world? I understood you got you went to the car for a bit in the morning. Yes. Yeah, so I wish my granddad. Um, who, who's passed away now, always had a transistor radio. Now, I am absolutely going out as soon as I can when the shops are open to buy a transistor radio because we had to go to listen to RNZ. We had to go out into our cars, rush out on the hour to listen to the news to get some kind of update from the outside world. But, of course, the media hadn't, hadn't actually completely reached Wairoa and didn't even know necessarily what was happening. So that was freaky, and we were worried about our car battery running low um, we were worried about fuel, which we've only just, we, we can get fuel today, a limited amount of fuel. Um, so it was all about conservation. It was all about not actually knowing what was really happening out there and what we should be conserving and what we should be doing. And that for you in your particular circumstance has been the biggest thing that you've trying to grapple with, the fact of the matter of how to actually get information applicable to you 
on the ground at the right time, that yeah. type of thing. Yeah, the council in the end was fantastic and actually drove around and dropped off newsletters in you know, two houses and handed them to us, which was absolutely fantastic. And then we would go in to the library green, which is in the centre of town, and there were notice boards up with information. But just things like, I don't think anyone, you know, we, it was all word of mouth. So lots of things were getting sort of, you know, misconstrued or different information here and there. And, you know, things like conserving water, we were using water out of our paddling pool and um, all sorts of things we didn't want to, we knew we shouldn't shower, we knew we shouldn't use the dishwasher, all those kind of basic things, but not knowing when, what the situation was, um, was kind of tricky, but yeah. Pamji, yep, his panel yep. is here. So, so how how's the situation there in regard to safety? Because there are, there's news of uh, gang gangs activity and looting going on. How's your area looking like, Thompson? There. Um, as far as I understand, and obviously I'm not I'm not I'm not an official, but I did just listen to our mayor mayor's like local update on our council Facebook page, and it's 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 okay here. The police the police are doing an amazing job, and in general, you know, why are is all about far now and all about um, each other and, and and loving each other and supporting each other. So it's actually okay here. We're we're we're, we're okay and we're everyone's just doing their best to to, to help each other. <clears throat> right, That's really good to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, I'm, right. I'm just wondering if you, I'm just wondering if you know if um there, there's sort of issues with food resourcing in in the mm. in the hood. We have had amazing reports. I've been doing quite a lot of messaging of friends because we finally can of, of people around the community and incredible reports of um, even like a, pl- a private plane from Topo coming in, doing six trips yesterday, oh. bringing in supplies. Um, I got a message from a guy, a message from a friend who said a guy has driven with his truck with meat to Wairoa, slept overnight somewhere and managed to come through on the Gisborne Road that's open now and bought, you know, huge amounts of um, meat and it's been cooked and delivered to the people um that have been, you know, badly affected on the other side of the river. So uh, people from all out around the country are going to incredible lengths to help us, which is amazing because Wairoa itself is really cut off. Like, we've only got that one road out to Gisborne and obviously all of the other roads are pretty much closed. So I'm just wondering, Tamsin, while you're here and just thinking mm-hmm. about it, um, is there anything that could be done better given that uh, getting that real-time local information to you as quickly as possible. You mentioned that you'd go to the car, listen to RNZ and that, but but even then there was a little bit of a mismatch. There was. I found that information that was on the news wasn't necessarily what we were hearing on the ground, so we weren't quite sure if it was accurate or not. There were, you know, there were reports that the road was open, but then no, the road wasn't open. And I'm not sure why that information... I'm not sure why the, the I'm not sure where that information was coming from and why it wasn't the same, like why there wasn't any consistency with the information. And I really don't know how do you get how do you get information to people when all your comms are down. Yeah. I mean, maybe you know, I I believe you know there were limited Starlink facilities, and maybe you know maybe that's something that needs to be looked at for the future, making sure that there are those emergency um, uh, that we've we've got the resources that we can access. Starlink, for example, um, that we were very fortunate to be able to get a message to our family, but not for days um, through the hospital because they had, they ended up getting Starlink. You know that sort of thing. Like, but it Gosh, should be available to everybody in the situation. There should be straight away as soon as there's a natural disaster. 
we should be able to communicate, shouldn't we? I think in this day and age, so well, that's pretty that's freaky. Right. That mm. will soon. That, I'm sure that'll be much discussed in time yeah. to come. But for now, yeah. Tamsin, uh, look, I appreciate your time today, and uh, kia ora. Thank you for your time, eh? Thank you, kia ora. Uh, that's a wide one, isn't it, Tamsin Cooper? There on. Uh, the panel, 16 past four. Te Whata Ora Health NZ is warning residents of recovering communities to steer clear of floodwaters. They say there is a high chance that waters will be contaminated with sewage, which ups the risk of contacting gastro. Certain councils are also issuing warnings about drinking water, with some asking residents to boil it first. So to break down this further risk, first we're joined by Medical Officer of Health, Bridget Wilson, thank you for your time, Bridget. Kia ora, thank you for having me. So for some people, completely avoiding floodwaters will be impossible. There's a lot of clean-up happening, a lot of people having, you know, your cuts and scrapes and the risk of infection. Uh, I I could imagine people quite high. Yes, absolutely. Look, one of the main risks after large large flooding events um, is we do see this increase in gastroenteritis. And as you say, um, while we do encourage people to avoid floodwaters, there is a lot of clean-up going on. And so it's really important that people take practical steps that they can to reduce their risk. So in terms of clean-up advice specifically, it's about wearing really good protective clothing, so thick soled shoes, um, long sleeved, uh, you know, tops and trousers, making sure that cuts are covered before you start, wearing gloves and a mask where possible, and then really washing your hands thoroughly after you've been um, uh, touching silt and, um, you know, uh, damaged um, and flooded uh, surfaces because, as you say, there is that risk um, of uh, contamination with sewage and and other things that that certainly can make people pretty crook afterwards. Raven. Oh, wow. Well, I'm just... um... Yeah, <laughs> I don't Taking really understand all, all the all the risks that. Uh, yeah, I, you, I mean, I think a lot of people. It's it is actually a, a really important message because a lot of yeah. people would think that you're okay as long as there isn't a current. You know, you're okay to sort of touch this, but I think yeah, it really needs to to be hammered home that there is a um, you know a sewage issue. Well, that's why we had you on, Bridget, because I, I anecdotally heard that uh, people uh, days after some of their their cuts, their scratches, the things that they hadn't really sort of um, really thought about earlier were starting to um, get a bit red and actually infected. Absolutely. And I think the other thing um, is is just that really important prevention um, messages around we're hearing from primary care and urgent care that um, people cleaning up are starting to come up um, with uh, issues around um, cuts on the soles of their feet or nails um, that they've stood on in the silt and so really important to wear thick soled shoes just to try and prevent some of that. I think the other thing in terms of preventing tubby bugs generally, even if you're not involved in the cleanup, really important to think about is the food that you're eating safe and is the water that you're drinking safe. So in terms of food safety, obviously avoiding any fruits and vegetables that have come into contact with floodwaters. 
also discarding any food that's spoiled. So we're now, you know, some days without power, you know, things that, um, uh, you know, haven't been able to refrigerate it just won't last and need to be discarded. And then as, you, as you've mentioned, really important to check in with your local council Facebook pages for the latest information about whether it's safe to drink your water or whether you need to boil it first. Good plan, all right. Palm Good. deed. Really important messages. But Bridget, have you um, assessed or analysed uh, the reach out of these messages? Because it's important that the message reaches to people, those who are at the top risk. Absolutely, absolutely. And I heard earlier you discussing the, the challenges of getting these messages out there. Mm-hmm. We're doing our absolute best in terms of, um, you know, pushing this out through radio messaging because lots of people are still able to access the radio. But also we've made sure that all of this information is printed and um, available at our um, community um, uh, uh civil defence centres, because obviously those are the people who are facing really big clean-ups at home. Yes. Now, while you're here, um, we're talking, by the way, to uh, Medical Officer of Health, Bridget Wilson, uh, Tefat Order Health, uh, New Zealand. Now, in terms of uh, COVID, uh, an uptick in COVID, uh, explain the latest for us. What are we seeing? Yeah, absolutely. So, look, our... Um, Formal surveillance for COVID that relies on people taking a rat and uploading that rat test doesn't yet show an increase in COVID, but we suspect that's because people haven't been able to access, um, to upload those um, COVID tests because what we're starting to hear um, from our primary care colleagues is they're starting to see people come through with COVID and certainly in our emergency um, uh, response workforce um, uh, that um, has been flagged as a potential issue. And so what we would say is really important if you've got any respiratory symptoms, cough, cold, runny nose, please take a rat test. And if at all possible, if you've got internet, mobile coverage, please upload that via my COVID record or by calling 0800 222478 because that's really important for us to get that picture of how much COVID is is out there in the community to help plan our response. But again, it's about practical stuff. If you're in a crowded place, try and wear a mask and, um, and you know, rat test and isolate uh, if you've got symptoms. Okay, uh, so that's 0800 222478 and that issue of wearing a mask. Gosh, it's just, <laughs> I've got to say, it's, um, it's emergency upon emergency, isn't it? It is. We're really feeling for our communities out there, but we yeah. are seeing also just some amazing resilience, yeah. um, you know, of people getting on and, and cleaning up. But absolutely. So thanks for supporting the messages out there. All right, kia ora, Bridget. Thank you for your time. Uh, as always, that's Medical Officer of Health, uh, Bridget Wilson from Tefata Order Health NZ. So again, recapping uh, COVID, um, make sure you do wear a mask. Uh, that number again, 0800 And coming back, because that is quite important, isn't it? Coming back to those those scratches, those little things mm. that you may not have actually worried about earlier, that could potentially be at risk of infection, so That's do right. cover those up. Um, 
And also, yeah. I wonder if uh, people have access to free masks because they well, are that's another at the moment, issue, isn't it? That's another issue, yeah. indeed. Yeah, uh, twenty-three past four. You're on the panel on RNZ National. Very nice to have your company, and always, uh, you can be our eyes and ears. We always, always respond and love your feedback here. Two one zero one email is the panel at rnz.co.nz. Uh, as well as the immediate aftermath of this destructive cyclone, much focus is on how the future looks with regard to building back. Both urban and local areas, rural areas, have been slammed in the past uh, two or three weeks. With us is uh, Regan Potangaro, Professor of Resilience, Resilient and Sustainable Built Environment, Māori Engagement at Massey University, and Professor Potangaro was 25 years a structural engineer, has been on more than 200 humanitarian humanitarian missions globally, leading large teams, has significant experience in this area. Professor Potangaroa, kia ora. Yeah, kia ora, Wallace. It's a surprise, I tell you, to be here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great to have you on the panel. Um, uh, and, and also, too, really, because of your um, background, I mean, you have this background as an engineer and then this humanitarian background. What, are, what do you think of the unique challenges with Cyclone Gabriel? Oh, I don't know where to start, Wallace. Um, yeah. yeah it, it, it's, it's just, it's just mind-blowing. And the yeah. stories that are coming out are just devastating. But one of the key things that we have to do if we're talking Build Back Better is we have to start the process of planning for the recovery now. Because what happens is we do the response and then we come to a stop and then suddenly there's a gap before we actually can do the recovery. So the big lesson from my experience is you have to start the recovery now, which sounds kind of illogical, uh, yes. but when you see the workflow happens, you, that's that's the one of the key things that we you know that, that I've found and that we see again and again in in, uh, in disaster response. Okay, yes. Yeah, so not stopping that workflow just. Onto it and into it right away. We've got a panel with us, uh, Regan. Uh, Raven, you want to jump in? Well, I'm just wondering how how can you um, work out what sort of surprises to to get ahead of? Because I think you know a lot of people were just absolutely gobsmacked. I mean, now we've sort of had time to get used to it, but absolutely gobsmacked by the level of um, you know flooding just from anyone halfway near a river, that sort of thing. Well, what, what, what strikes me about the reports I'm hearing is the surprise level. We didn't really have any early warning systems. So there's one big one to start off with. How can we actually get a system that tells us what's going to happen earlier? I know I do work with the International Federation of the Red Cross, the, um, and they have a, a meteorological model that told us before Cyclone Pam hit Vanuatu that it was going to hit. So we actually... They were able to move people into the zone and have their disaster response ready. Maybe, we, yeah, maybe that's one area that we need to look at. So, uh, Professor, build back better. And if uh, that means we have to first analyze where we are currently. So how would you rate in terms of percentage? Like, are we at 20%, 30% seeing the, the, uh, the devastation that this cyclone has caused? And obviously, we want to be close to 90 95%. Yes, How would you read the yeah. yeah, it's it's dynamic, isn't it? Because what's happening is climate change is is changing the, the the level field. So it's 
going back to the Pacific, we used to go uh, out for Category 4 was the sort of you know, design and the, and the typical sort of uh, cyclone that we'd go to. Now we're going to Category 5, uh, and none, none of the buildings are designed for that. New Zealand, we, we designed for 3, but now we're seeing 3+. Plus, and that's, that yes. was the problem with Gabriel. It was just a little bit more. So climate change... Uh, is going to start to bite us increasingly more, and it's going to bite in terms of the actual loads that we have to design to. So when you ask me where are we at in terms of uh, building response, it's difficult to say because the level it's not a level playing field. The actual levels that we need to design to are being increased by the by the, the effects of climate change. I'm just thinking what you were saying about uh, the islands there, uh, Professor Potakaroa, and, you know, my, my father, he's, he's Fijian, he's from Fiji, and he'd tell me tales of actually living through a couple of cyclones, uh, tremendous ferocity of, you know, those category, category four and four plus. Uh, are there things perhaps we can learn from other countries who've had these cyclones before? You've mentioned Vanuatu and early warning systems. Yes, we, we, we learned some very interesting things when we were in, in, in you know, with Cyclone Pam in Vanuatu about how people organise their groups and, and organise. They actually have systems where people sit in slings to hold their roof down, which is kind of interesting, and we introduced ways that we'd let the sacrificial side of the house go, uh, and so the wind loads would drop on the roof, for instance. So there are things that we can learn from traditional knowledge um, that we should be looking at perhaps for New Zealand, perhaps, you know, I, I dare, I'm too scared to say it, but there's a lot of, you know, Maturanga Māori um, that's out there that's not really being distilled about what to do in floods, what to do in, in these kind of cyclonic events, but more importantly, what does a community do in these sorts of situations? It's so very interesting, uh, Regan. I think we're going to have to um, bring you back for part two on this conversation. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's lovely to have you here. Kia ora, thank you. Yeah, kia ora. Yeah, that's uh, Professor Regan Potangaroa, a Professor of Resilient and Sustainable Built Environment, uh, Māori Engagement at Massey University. Thank you for uh, some of your messages uh, coming through. Wallace, I've been through the floods, Nelson floods, this year and have been evacuated in the Pigeon Valley fire. Until you've lived it, you cannot understand the chaos and uncertainty. No amount of communication is enough, so people need to be really patient. We also have zero tolerance for miscommunication. Patience and reliance is the need. Be kind to our people trying to do a hard job.